Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I am Shannon Vasconcelos. I will be your host for this week. And we're actually recording this the week before Thanksgiving. It's not going to air until the week after Thanksgiving. So I hope that you all out there had a great Thanksgiving, that you got a chance to relax with your families, eat, eat lots of yummy food, and hopefully could back burner thoughts of the college admissions process for, for a day or two. Um, so I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving now that we're turning back to the college admissions process a little bit. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. Um, in our next segment, we're going to be talking about summer programs sponsored by the State Department, which should be interesting. And in our final segment, we're going to talk about financial aid for transfer students. Um, but for now, in our first wonderful segment, I have joining me Ed Devine from the admissions office at Hampton Sydney College. Welcome, Ed. Yeah, thank you, Shannon. Thanks for having me and happy holidays, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Ed, we, we have to get this out of the way. What is your favorite Thanksgiving leftover? I make a great leftover sandwich with everything in it. Cranberry I, sauce, gravy, potatoes, it all goes in. I fully support that. <laughs> you got to throw it all in there. Perfect, Ed. Yep. So, Ed, so for the, our listeners out there who may not be super familiar or at all familiar with Hampton Sydney College, could you just give us the very kind of brief kind of elevator pitch? What is, what is Hampton Sydney all about? Yeah, great question. And I love talking about Hampton Sydney. We are actually the 10th oldest college in the country and the first form not connected to the King and Queen of England. So, we will be celebrating 250 years coming up pretty soon. A lot of our ideals and the reason the college was formed was much like the ideals that were kind of crafting this country, the experiment that we were going through. Uh, so we've been at it for a while. Uh, some standout things that your students would want to know. We're small. We're just under a thousand students on a beautiful campus. We have over 1.1 acres per student. So a lot of space for our students to, to enjoy the great outdoors. Uh, but we're a thousand students and all male. So one of only three remaining all-male colleges in the country. Uh, but we do boast some very happy students, the sixth happiest in the country, according to Princeton Review. Um, our students love the experience and a really dialed-in alumni network, ranked number three in the country. So our graduates stay very connected to Hamden Sydney and to the current students on campus. That's fantastic. So you know, as you mentioned, sort of one of the most unique things is that you are an all-male college. And I, I bet some of our listeners didn't even know that there were still some all-male colleges out yep. there. I think we talk a little bit more and there are more of them, all women's colleges. Yep. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, um, why do you think that a student might want to consider a single gender college? And I'm curious, do you think it's the same reason a, a man would want to consider consider a, a men's college as a woman would want to consider a women's college or, or are there different motivations in, involved? What's your uh, perspective on that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably similar to why uh, all female colleges earlier in my college career, I, I heard more about the all female schools and the power when you sit through a presentation, the power of the experience, 
what the alumni do. I think there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the experience is not as different as students make it out to be. Mm-hmm. If you attended a football game at Hamden, Sydney on a Saturday, uh, probably about 70% of the fan base would be young ladies from surrounding schools. So really the experience comes down to that classroom and that engagement with faculty. I think the history is a compelling part. A lot of students love to dig into the history of why the all men's colleges. So there's that component. I think success rates speak for themselves. Um, but I think when you get down to the experience, it's the way perhaps men and women learn differently. I think there's a lot of great research on both sides for all men and all women's colleges about participation uh, within the classroom, within student life activities. There's that sense of uh, the opportunity to be vulnerable, to kind of lean into a full experience. So I think those are some of the reasons students like it. <clears throat> I will say that not a lot of our guys go into it um 100% convinced, yes, yeah, sign me up for an all-male experience. Uh, many, we call it the slow burn. If you sit <laughs> and listen to a student panel, they'll talk about the uh, college search and how it unfolded and how sometimes late in April of that senior year when making the final decision, that experience, the Hamden-Sydney experience, really called to these young men. So uh, people have questions about it, no question. But I think it, if you look at that, the way that students engage in the classroom and extracurricular activities, just understanding that we do perhaps learn differently in a, in a broad stroke. So I think our faculty are very geared into teaching young men. And when you sit in on our classes, um, the engagement very early on from freshman year on uh, is pretty impressive. And a lot of our young men say they may not have approached high school in that regard, but they feel comfortable to really be engaged. Again, show that vulnerability, um, the opportunity to be coached and guided by mentors throughout the campus. They lean into that a little bit more. And mm-hmm. I think it cr- creates a very fulfilling experience for uh, for our students. That's really interesting. And I think it does sound similar to at least some of the, the motivations for a woman, perhaps um, looking at an all-women's college. So that, that's really interesting. Um, and another thing that I found interesting, um, digging around uh, on your website a little bit, is uh, you mentioned in, in your brief intro that... Um, You've got some of the happiest students there at Hampton, yeah. Sydney. Yeah. Um, you also turn up on some of the uh, high up on the rankings of like a best college value, best return on investment. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit ab- about that? Yeah, Shannon, I, I love talking to students generally about college search and really thinking about that that value piece. Really, I hope drives students to think about the four-year experience. So mm-hmm. not just the name of the school or the rankings where they fall, but really what they can get involved with in that four years. Current students on campus will refer to that as the bucket list. And um, I think that value piece comes from packing a lot into four years. It Mm. definitely, uh, you know, I think over the last 15 years, we've talked a lot about return on investment. Um, Our our ROI is something that's kind of made it into our vernacular, but what it paid the payoff after that four years, I think really the way to look back on that is to say, did I do everything in my four-year experience that I wanted to do? So study abroad, research on campus, internships, finding opportunities to be a campus leader. Those are the things that I think lead to success, that next level success. Um, our alumni network is very dialed in. So a Hampton-Sydney student calling out to a graduate of Hampton-Sydney is going to find doors that will open in the way of internships, mm. summer internships, jobs, job, uh, you know, even informational interviews. Uh, so I think that return on investment comes back in that in that fashion. 
Mm-hmm. But really, it's I think students look back uh, at that small college experience and think I did everything I wanted to do. It was worth yeah. what I set out to do as far as my time and my money. Uh, and they really packed a lot into that four years. Uh, the job market, you know, our students through their leadership, it's very hard to graduate Hamden, Sydney and not have leadership on your resume uh, because we're small. The opportunity exists all over the place. So leadership will stand out on their resume. Um, we'll probably talk a little bit about our rhetoric program, but the ability to communicate beyond what your uh, your major might have taught you becomes a real powerful part of that return on investment. But through our Compass program, that's what we, that, that an umbrella term for all of our experiential learning. But through Compass, we really kind of organically drive students towards the study abroad, the on-campus research, the summer internships, et cetera. And that does lead to that high return on investment in way of um, first jobs, high paying salaries, and then extended successful careers that really make that investment worthwhile. Totally. And I would love to hear more about your rhetoric program. I read a little bit about it on your website and it, to me, it did sound like something that I think is not as emphasized at a lot of colleges and it does develop extremely valuable skills. Yeah, it really does. And alumni that look back on the rhetoric program, you know, some leaned into it, kind of um, knew it was of interest. They loved the, the idea of leadership and communicating. Others, it's new to them. But the rhetoric program is a two-year curriculum, could be considered part of our general education or core courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a series of courses. Students are tested when they arrive. But it's about their ability to um, to write and to write persuasively. Uh, expository writing is part of it. Uh, they can go through a remedial course and then work their way up to the required coursework. Uh, it does culminate with a three-hour exam in sophomore year. And it's a very uh, intense, cool rite of passage celebrated by alumni across the world. That idea of completing and going through that rhetoric program um, is uh, you know, something we all celebrate and know long-term, it's going to be one of those big return on investment pieces. Uh, when you talk to graduates of Hamden, Sydney, they'll talk about the rhetoric program, their ability to communicate, speak persuasively, and that's across all different disciplines. Uh, and whether they're presenting for research or you know, re- uh, asking for funding for certain events that they do at work, um, that ability to, to present and speak and write and communicate strongly is, is a big part of that. Um, many people, when they hire They will talk about soft skills, especially in the STEM fields, how strong are the soft skills. And so this rhetoric program really is a two-year intensive program to prepare students to be very strong communicators. And, and, and our, you know, we have a lot of students that go into politics, um, foreign affairs, things of that nature where it it makes sense. But some of our STEM students will look back and say, man, computer science and a rhetoric minor took me to the places I wanted to go. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about kind of your campus culture. You mentioned, you know, as an all-male school, you visit our campus, yep. you know, it might not actually feel as different yeah. from school as you would think, but are there unique things about your campus culture, do you think? I, I think there are for sure. And, and if you, again, popped in on a weekend, uh, we were a highly rated tailgating school. Uh, many people <laughs> would come and video that experience in disbelief because of our size. We're division yeah. three. But really, the ability to draw in young students from, uh, again, the local universities. But on campus, there is something called the Brotherhood that is very well known. We do have an honor code. So all of our students freshman year will sign a pledge 
uh, basically saying that they will not steal, cheat, or lie, and that they will uphold each other to do the same. So the honor code really is the underpinning of our strong sense of brotherhood. Um, and it would come, when it comes to discourse or holding each other up, there's a real pride in doing that. So that that brotherhood is something you'll sense on campus. I've been on many college campuses, and it is one of the friendliest places by far. Uh, very few students buried in their their um, mobile devices, very engaging when you walk across campus. So that sense of strong community is there. Our students love the outdoors. We are a beautiful campus. We have three ponds on campus. You can fish, kayak. Uh, we have ropes courses. We have um, all kinds of fun outdoor activities. Um, we're about an hour and 20 minutes from Richmond. So more of that kind of rural experience. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things, we have fire pits out in front of every resident hall. So to walk around on a Friday night and see guys sitting around a fire chatting uh, really gives that sense of um, uh, building community. Um, a lot of our guys have background in like uh, summer camps. Uh, there, Many of them have been on, involved in team sports. So that team attitude really permeates. Uh, we have very specific scholarships for Boys State and for Eagle Scouts. So that's another kind of interesting part of who we are. Um, a lot of athletes on campus, so we are proud of our Division Three athletic programs, um, really having a great year, a couple of years in basketball, a lot of fun supporting the teams in football and baseball, uh, swimming. So uh, a lot of school pride in that sense as well. That's really great. And I think you just sort of tossed out a few of them, but are there particular types of students that you think would be a good fit or maybe not a good fit for Hamden, Sydney? Yeah, I think the good fit, the student that that loves the, the team, um, they want to be part of the team, they want to take on leadership roles. Again, there's that that interest in probably the outdoors. Yeah. Students will say you can't be somebody that easily gets bored and be successful at Hamden, Sydney. They create all kinds of fun, <laughs> uh, create games. They're, they're the driving force behind the ropes course and some of the outdoor activities that we do. Uh, but it's a place where you have opportunity and, and a space to kind of create fun. Uh, I think our students that are looking for kind of a deep city experience, uh, uh, that they're not going to really necessarily right. get. Yep. Our students yep. that do sh attend will probably find that in their study abroad or their study away programs. Mm -hmm. uh, we're only three hours from D.C., for example. So students might make their way to D.C. for that big city experience. Totally. And I'll just say for the benefit of the students out there, when I was applying to college, I was confident the one thing I wanted was to be in a big city. In the end, I ended up at uh, in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is for those who don't know, very kind of rural <laughs> part of Massachusetts yeah. and ended up loving it and like getting into the outdoors and hiking and stuff that I had not done before. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's funny what, what you may think you want as a high school student, yeah. you know, it, it sometimes changes over the, over the course of your college education. It's a, you know, a time for growth and exploration. Uh, I think yeah. You can certainly find that over there at Hamden, Sydney. Um, and just, I like to ask our guests from different admissions offices, because I always think it's fun to see the successful people that yeah. you know, they, they didn't all attend, you know, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, that they yeah. are successful alumni from so many amazing colleges across the country. And I'd love to hear you have any kind of high profile alumni uh, from Hamden, Sydney. Yeah, Shannon, we, we love talking about our alumni and, and kind of what got them there. But we've got like Kirk Zambetti. He was the uh, CEO of Yeti Yeti Coolers. And so that company had an amazing trajectory. Uh, a former Swiss ambassador, Ed McMullen, 
Uh, one that people might know is Scott Cooper. He's won an Academy Award with um, Jeff Bridges for the movie Crazy Heart. He's yeah. also made some great movies called like Pale Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Mass works with Christian Bale a lot. But yeah, here he is in Los Angeles and, and doing the L.A. thing. And um, he will talk really a lot about the rhetoric program, yeah. uh, even though he's a great writer in English. But the ability to kind of network and all the things that come out of that rhetoric program really helped to kind of lead him him on to some great things. But a lot of folks in leadership, um, we've got a senior producer at the Golf Network. We've got um, Rob Citrone is one of the guys that's a partial owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, a hedge fund manager who found great success, but a lot in very strong leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, when you talk about uh, our experience, again, it's hard to find students who haven't stepped into leadership roles on campus. And that's really what drives them into that into that success. So uh, we've got guys doing great things and we love to tell the stories about those those folks um, and, and how they got there, because a lot of them didn't know by major. Uh, they just went, had that full undergrad experience. A lot of times, like you said, finding themselves in a more rural space where they had time to think about life, try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that four year cat- catalyst that led on to some great success later in life. That's fantastic. Um, And we are just about out of time. Um, But for students who are listening who might not have known much about Hamden-Sydney before and are now thinking, huh, that sounds kind of interesting. (laughs) Maybe I'd like to go here. What should we know about your admissions process? Yeah, it's very personalized. We are on the common application. We really are going to talk a lot about your activities list. We do want to take a look at that essay to see who you are as a person. Uh, we love to meet with students. So if you're curious and want to lean into that process, we do enjoy the opportunity to meet in person or virtually. Um, if you have had a late start, we do work with young men and that's our expertise. But if you've had a late start, if you're that late bloomer, but you really want to be able to lean in and talk about that, I highly encourage doing the doing that one-on-one meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't bite. It's usually a learning experience both ways, but definitely lean in and connect with us. Uh, or our graduates, because we want to personalize the approach to admissions. Of course, come down and see us. Uh, Many of our students will, throughout the search process, others after they get admitted, again, referring back to that slow burn. Uh, But at some point, definitely come and see us to unpack what the experience might look like. But but really, we're going to look at your transcripts and your grades. uh, But after that, the activities list, that essay, who you are outside the classroom, that exhibited leadership or commitment to team, um, and we'll ask even, you know, counselors and look for recommendation letters that talk about that sense of being a good man or being a good citizen, that willingness to explore what that means really would resonate um, with us through the admission process. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ed. I learned a ton and I, I'm fairly confident that our listeners did too. So thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. And thanks for doing what you do, uh, guiding these young people. Uh, hats off to you and your crew. Oh, absolutely. We love every minute of it. And listeners, stick around. In our next segment, we're going to be talking about State Department-sponsored summer programs. So stay tuned. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired and contemplative thought showcasing experts in their fields including authors musicians and artists your host winifred adams will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter we want to hear from you be sure to tune in thursdays at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I am joined now by my colleague and former admissions officer at Carleton College, Brian Swan. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we are going to be talking about summer programs sponsored by Summer programs in general, and specifically focusing on those sponsored by the U.S. government, the State Department, uh, which is something that I know Zippo about. <laughs> so I'm really excited to get to talk to you and, and and learn about these programs, and I'm sure our listeners are excited to learn as well. So I think to get started, you know, when we're thinking about summer programs, I think most people's mind, if they think of summer programs at all. <laughs> And we do a lot in our work. I don't know if other people spend a lot of time thinking about summer programs, but if they do, I think what immediately springs to mind is the programs that are sponsored by the colleges themselves. You know, like uh, I could attend the Yale summer program and I think that might help me get into Yale, which we know not necessarily the case. Dig into the archives, listeners. We've got some segments on that. (laughs) Um, But there are alternatives to those university-sponsored programs, right? Yeah, there are a lot of alternatives to those university-sponsored programs. And and the, the U.S. government sponsors a number of really cool, really unique opportunities for high school students to gain exposure uh, in in a variety of areas, whether it's you know something like cybersecurity, so, you know, international relations, uh, even you know things like forest conservation. So there are a lot of different opportunities that the government is providing, and and I didn't know about a lot of these until I started working in admissions. Right, wow. um, I started seeing some of these on students' applications, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, I wish I would have known about some of these when I was a high schooler. Um, so, so happy to talk about some of these uh, programs and opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fill us in a, a little bit, and uh, I feel like we could talk about this for for at least a, a couple hours. We, we don't have that much time, but can you fill us in on, on some examples of what some of the the programs are? Yeah, I mean there there are a ton of opportunities out there that I could highlight, but but one of my favorites that 
that I have come across in, in working with students and families um, is something called uh, Tech Girls, right? Where And this is funded by the U.S. State Department. Uh, it is geared toward uh, empowering women who want careers in, in STEM. Uh, and so the idea of the program is that students come together from across the world to um, the United States. Um, last year, the program was hosted at Virginia Tech, um, but you know, students have an opportunity to uh, really develop uh, uh, you know, technical background uh, in, to further sort of their passion in STEM. Um, what's unique about this program, like I said, it, it, it's open to students from 37 countries across the world, uh, but also students in the United States. And if you're selected for this program, uh, everything's paid for. It's free of charge. Um, and so it's it's a really great opportunity for students, especially young women who want mm-hmm. to pursue careers in STEM. Um, as you would imagine, a free program like that is going to be highly selective. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason we're talking about it now is that the application window is still open. Uh, right. the, the application is due December 8th. Um, so that's one example of a program uh, that's funded by the, the U.S. government. Um, another program I like um, is called the Benjamin Franklin Transatlantic Fellowship Institute. Uh, this is a program, again, uh, funded by the State Department, hosted by an institution in the United States. So last year it was hosted at Purdue University. But, but again, the idea is trying to bring students together who have an interest in diplomacy, who have an interest in international relations, um, who are willing to you know, dig deep and, and converse with other peers from across Europe to better understand kind of the transatlantic relationship between the United States and European nations. Um, again, this is another opportunity that's fully funded. So if you get selected, everything's paid for. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, do how long? Maybe it varies. Are these programs like a week long? Are they the whole summer long? Yeah, they, they do vary. Uh, some of them are going to be you know four weeks long. Some of them are going to be ten weeks long. Um, it, it, they they certainly is a range, and yeah. uh, but but a lot of them are designed again to kind of you know foster some of those uh, intercultural connections between okay. students from different backgrounds, different uh, parts of the world. So the longer, the more time you have for those yeah. uh, opportunities, you know, it's hard to do that in a week, <laughs> but, but, but certainly these programs um, can be really beneficial for students uh, to, to build those connections. Yeah, that sounds like such a great opportunity that for most of us, we wouldn't get, you know, at our, our typical high school to be able to, to learn from and just hang out with and collaborate with students from all across the world. I, that's a really unique experience for a high school student. Yeah. And, and, and to be you know, honest, there, there are also programs that the State Department offers where students themselves are traveling outside the United States. Mm. Uh, so one that I really like is the National Security Language Initiative for Youth, or NSLIY. Um, this is a program that's been around um, for almost two decades, where students who want to learn a language considered critical to the national security interests of the United States have a chance to, you know, have an immersive experience. So students could live in Morocco and study Arabic over the course of the summer, or they could live um, in in different parts of the world that, you know, the U.S. Department, State Department wants students to kind of get exposure to. Um, the, 
yeah, I mentioned this program just because I, I love it, but unfortunately the deadline is already passed. So I'm flying that. But, but for those of you who have, uh, you know, junior sophomores, um, freshmen, think of this program too yeah. as a really great opportunity for, for next year, because a lot of these programs, uh, like I said, they're, they're going to have application windows that open up a little earlier, but if you keep an eye out for them, you can actually log, you know, search for these programs in October and you'll be able to find uh, that the applications are typically open. That's great. And yet yeah, to our listeners out there, that's why we're talking about this now. I imagine it might sound, <laughs> you know, it, it's around Thanksgiving. Why are we talking about summer college coach folks? But the, <laughs> it sounds like the, these programs have early application deadlines. So you really do need to be thinking about this in advance. Exactly. And, and in some ways, some of these applications will mirror what, a student will be doing during their senior year in terms of mm. laying out an earlier timeline, thinking about uh, you know the, the essays that you may have to submit as part of the application. Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a odd way, it's really good prep it's for what practice. a student may face uh, as they're going uh, through the application cycle. Yeah, that is such a good point, and it sounds like at least some of these programs, maybe all of these programs, are competitive programs. Yeah, a lot of these programs are competitive, um, and and it's kind of strange when you look at some of the requirements that the mm-hmm. State Department will list. Um, I know I was looking at one earlier, and and you know the the requirements weren't like having a four GPA, right? Like some of them was like have a two point five, but <laughs> but then you think about the other parts of what it means to potentially uh, travel, you know, across the country or across the world. Uh, and be ready and mature for that. Um, so being able to kind of exhibit some of that maturity, exhibit some of that desire to uh, immerse yourself in maybe an unfamiliar situation, um, those aren't things that are necessarily quantifiable, but but can be transmitted through the writing you do in the application. Mm-hmm. So, so the, some of these programs are very competitive. Um, some of them are going to be less competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when you think about what they're looking for, you know, even for the, the National Security Language Program, as you mentioned, it's not a prerequisite that you have to know a language to apply for the program, right? Um, you, you know, you have to have an interest, though, in, in having that sort of experience where you're, uh, you know, learning as you go and have that hunger to kind of uh, push yourself uh, to to adjust and and uh, acclimate to a new setting. Yes. Yes. So you have to show evidence of that in the application. It's not all uh, about the grades, though. Some might have a higher grade requirements, I imagine. But yeah, I, that makes sense. And there are very particular things that they're looking for for this sort of unique experience that is not every high school student is going to be up for. Exactly. Demonstrate that you're prepared for this kind of experience. A hundred percent. Yeah, that makes total sense. So if you are interested in doing one of these programs, how then does that um, look to admissions officers uh, in the end? How how does a, a I'm sorry, a college admissions officer view a student who has participated in one of these state department programs? Yeah, great question. I, I mean, I think most 
admissions officers who who understand what these programs are and how selective they are. Yeah, it's it's certainly a positive thing to to show on your application. I know uh, when I read applications for Carleton, uh, when I saw a student who had done you know a program that was you know, selective in its nature, it's like oh, they have this really deep interest in you know either a language acquisition or or putting themselves in situations where they're open to new learning and uh, opportunities, yeah. um, or or showing that depth of passion around issues of diplomacy or issues related to you know intercultural exchange, right? And and those again maybe aren't things that you can quantify via a test score or a GPA, mm-hmm. but those are qualities that admissions officers are, are paying attention to. What is that openness that you're exhibiting to learning outside your comfort zone? What does that drive you're showing to pursue a selective opportunity like this? And then um, you know, how does that experience then impact the sort of engagement and, and thinking you may bring to a college campus? Mm-hmm. So so like, like most summer programs, I mean, I think admissions officers understand they're great for experience, but they're not necessarily, you know, must have. But when I saw students who had done, you know, selective programs like uh, the National Security uh, Language Initiative for Youth or uh, the FLEX program, the Future Leaders Exchange Abroad program, which is another great opportunity, um, or, you know, the U.S., you know, um, the the Cybersecurity Internship Program. Uh, I'm throwing more out here just so people know about this, but but, but when I saw students who had done those, I was like, yeah, this is a student who uh, has taken some, 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 uh, a step to, to really kind of investigate something that they're passionate about. And that usually was a, was a positive thing that we could take away as reading, as we read their application. That's so great. Are there any others that you, you haven't mentioned yet that you wanted to, to get out there? We've got a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones I, I, I like is actually the Youth Conservation Corps. Uh, it's, it's run by the National uh, Park Service. Um, but for students who want to kind of get exposure to uh, you know, what it means to do uh, you know, tri- conservation and, and be in the national park system, um, um, there's some really cool opportunities. Um, ah. you know, when I was researching this, I came across a program where a student could uh, potentially work with the uh, Youth Conservation Corps in the Virgin Islands. Um, I'm hard, in, Brian. Exactly. Hard, 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 hard work, but someone's got to do it. Um, but but there's also programs that are more around historical imp- interpretation that the um, that the programs offer. So there's some really cool programs in the Boston area that that deal with um, you know you know building out um, programming for for visitors who are interested in in sort of the historical sites in in the city um or you know there's so there's there's lots of cool opportunities that 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 program you know the youth conservation corps can offer um uh, another favorite of mine um and and again this is kind of a uh uh something i remember seeing when i worked in admissions was called Mm -hmm. uh the kennedy luger uh, yes program um and so so this is a chance for students who want to have intercultural sort of dialogue opportunity to spend a year um, or a semester, but but to spend a long, lengthier amount of time, mm-hmm. um, you know, having that sort of intercultural exchange. Um, so students could live in Poland or Kazakhstan uh, for a semester or for a year, um, and I really love seeing that just because it, it again it helped me kind of understand here's a student 
15, 16, willing to really have a different perspective that they're going to gain from these sort of opportunities. So, so yeah, I know we're focusing mostly on summer programs, but there are programs that the State Department offers that take place during the regular school year. And so a student may you know, spend their 10th grade or 11th grade abroad. Uh, and, and I can only think of how that would have you know, opened my mind earlier to so many of the opportunities that, that are out there. For sure. And I know you mentioned early on, at least one of the programs was very competitive, but free of charge if you're accepted. Are they all free? Is there a charge for some of them? So the State Department programs that, that we've discussed are pretty much free. <laughs> Again, they're competitive to, yes. to gain acceptance to, but but if you get in, you know, they, they pay for transportation, they can pay for your your uh, you know lodging, things like that. Um, like both summer programs having a little pocket change to yes. you know, you know, to, to buy, you know, late night pizza, things like that. You'll, you probably need that. Um, but but a lot of these opportunities, um, because they're funded by the State Department, uh, there are no costs to participants. That is really fantastic. And I, I like how they that makes them accessible to all, unlike some other summer programs out there that charge many thousands of dollars and <laughs> exactly. not, not quite as accessible. Uh, and so I'm, gl- I'm so glad that we get to get the, the word out about these programs today, Brian. So thank you so much for, for bringing this to us. If we've got listeners out there who are intrigued by these programs, as am I, I'm ready to hop in my time machine and go back to high school so I can do one of them. <laughs> but where can our <laughs> listeners find out more about these programs? Yeah, great question. Uh, the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs uh, is a branch of the you know, Department of State. Um, so if you go to their website, uh, you'll be able to kind of find a listing of all the programs they offer. And and to be fair, they, they have programs not just for high school students. They also have programs for uh, you know current college students as well as uh, working professionals in a whole variety of areas. Um, but but yeah, you want to search. Tell, tell for... me, don't tease me. Tell me they have one for college counselors, Brian. <laughs> uh, well, they they actually do have one, but for counselors who are working abroad. So, alas. <laughs> yeah, I know, alas. Um, but like I said, if you want to find these opportunities, just just search for the Bureau of Educational Cultural Affairs. Uh, their, their their exchange program uh, information is all online. Uh, they have some really great opportunities. Some of the other programs I mentioned, like the um, Youth uh, Conservation Corps, you know, that's going to be hosted at the uh, you know, National Park Service website. So you may have to kind of search for some of these opportunities, but but there are a lot of them out there. And, and you know, we didn't have time to cover them all, uh, but there's some really great opportunities if you're willing to, to do a little digging. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian, for sharing this amazing info and listeners stick around. Uh, And our final segment, we're going to be talking about the steps you need to take if you are planning on transferring for the spring semester. So stay tuned. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Well, as the year draws to a close, parents of high schoolers are feeling complex emotions. 
Maybe you're celebrating a slate of strong grades this fall. Maybe you're thankful that your student got an early application in on time. Maybe you're making resolutions to empower their work in the new year. Whatever you're feeling about the college application process, now is a great time to get some help from the experts at College Coach. Until the end of November, we're offering a 10% discount on all of our College Coach programming. Whether you need help wrapping things up this winter or want to get a head start on 2024, we're prepared to help. Visit getintocollege.com for more information today. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And I'm now being joined by my colleague, Lori Peltier, who has served as a financial aid officer at a number of colleges uh, in, in the Massachusetts area, my favorite fun fact about Lori is she has worked at colleges from medical schools to funeral schools. So she can really help you from birth to death. We are not going to be talking about birth or death today. Today, Lori is going to be helping us with the college transfer process. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Shannon. Happy to be here. Excellent. So I guess, first of all, to get sort of started... We want to talk about spring transfers. This episode is airing on November 30th. If you have not applied for a spring transfer as yet, do you still have time? You have a little bit of time, and it really depends on the schools. Each school sets their own deadline date for transfer applications. There are some schools that are probably still taking transfers, but you've got to move quickly. Um most common deadlines are in early spring uh, and range, you know, all throughout the year. So, so transfer deadlines can really vary from school to school. So you may have some time depending on the school. Right. You may have a little bit of time depending on the school for, to transfer for January. Right. If, if, if not January, next opportunity would be for fall. Correct. You can't, transfer in the middle of a term. So it would be whenever a new term is starting. So yes, you could transfer for the fall. Um, and those deadline dates are usually early spring um, as students get ready to to finish their, their semester and um, start in the fall at a new school. Got it. Um, so for folks who are thinking about that January transfer, who still have time because the school has a little bit of a later deadline or might already have an application and process for that spring transfer. Once you have been accepted at the new school, you decide you're going to attend. So you've made, you've made this decision. There's lots that kind of go into that decision on whether you should transfer. Now we're going to assume you've made the decision. This is happening. I'm transferring for 
the spring semester, what are the kind of general procedural steps that you need to take to, to make that transfer happen? I think there's four steps. Number one, you want to transfer your academic credit. Mm. So you want to make sure that all the college credits you have earned are transferring to the new school so that you're not starting behind, you're not redoing anything, that you're continuing your progress forward. And then you want to cancel and transfer any financial aid. So there's the academic side, and then there's the financial aid side. And you have to officially withdraw at one school and officially enroll at the other school. So it's kind of like closing one door, opening the other, Mm -hmm. making sure everything transfers over. Um, And hopefully through the admission process, you've worked out how much of your credits are going to transfer because that's really going to determine whether they consider you a freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior and how far along you are in the process. That's right. Yeah, so there are basically two schools in play when you're going to to undertake this transfer. You've got to do some stuff with your old school. You got to do some stuff with your new school. Um, so can you start with what do we need to do officially at the old school, the current school, to sort of ease your transfer out of that school? Right. And I think this is really important. In my experience, when I was at a school campus, we saw students just disappear. They just would no longer answer calls or emails and pick up their mail or anything. And it was like, where did they go? Why didn't they tell us they were leaving? So you need to tell them that you're leaving. First, I would start with the financial aid office. If you have aid, um, notify the financial aid office that you're no longer going to be enrolled at the end of the term. Um, They will put you through what's called exit counseling. If you borrowed student loans at your existing school, you want to go through exit counseling to review what you borrowed, who you borrowed it from, how much you owe, the interest rates, what's going to happen going forward with those loans. So many students skip this, and it's really important um, is to to really understand you know, what what's going on with your loans. So the financial aid office will do that with you if you tell them that you're leaving they won't know if you don't. (laughs) Then the registrar's office is the other important piece on campus. The registrar's office needs to see an official withdrawal. You need to sign some document that says you're withdrawing and they will issue the official transcript. So that last final official transcript that's a a cumulative review of all of your credits is coming from the registrar's office. Um, sometimes it costs money to request a transcript, usually like $5, but uh, you would do that through the registrar's office. If you're living on campus, if you're an on-campus student, you won't want to notify the housing office, whatever that's called, residence life, student housing, um, to tell them that you're not coming back after the holiday break. You want to schedule a move out date and a damage check because otherwise the, they could charge you for damages that you didn't make. Um, if they have keys, which is kind of old school, but if they had keys <laughs> to the building, you need to return your keys. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a mailbox on campus, you would want to notify the mailroom on campus that you're closing out your mailbox and maybe set a forwarding address of where you want any information to be forwarded. So Kind of similar to moving your home or your apartment, you know, there's things you need to do to close out that chapter. Definitely. And I really can't emphasize enough the checking in with the financial aid office. Lori and I were both financial aid officers at at colleges, and I can't tell you how many times um, 
a student would come to me in the spring semester at the new school wanting financial aid at the new school. And um, I could not process any um, like federal student loans for them because they still had their existing loans at the old school. Those weren't canceled yet. So Mm -hmm. I would say, I can't give you any student loans. You've already borrowed your annual limit. And they would say, well, no, I didn't. I only got half of it because I left my school after one semester. And I would say, does the financial aid office know that? Because if you don't go through the official process to get uh, any remaining loan disbursements canceled, the new school thinks you've already hit your limits and can't give you any new money until that's taken care of. So you That's a very good point, Shannon. Thank you. Because when you borrow a student loan, it's for the academic year and split into two semesters. So the first semester may have come through to that old school. And if they don't know to cancel the spring semester, they're going to think you're still there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I think that kind of covers the administrative steps at the old school. Now, what do you got to do at the new school? Uh, it's almost like starting from scratch again, you know, as if you were, you know, entering school for the first time. I think the important thing is the new school financial aid office doesn't know that you're coming unless you list that school on your FAFSA form. So if this is happening now, log into your 2324 FAFSA form, add the new school to it because they're not receiving your FAFSA information unless you add them. Some schools also use the CSS profile. You might not have done it for your old school, but this might be a requirement for the new school. So you definitely want to check the new school's financial aid requirements and add them to the FAFSA and profile if necessary. There may be additional documents too, tax returns, W-2s, so that they can truly evaluate your financial circumstances and offer you a financial aid uh, award. So once they've offered you a financial aid award, you need to review it, accept it, and then pay a deposit. Um, The schools want a deposit to confirm that, yes, you're coming. Yes, you need a seat in the classroom. Yes, you might need a dormitory or apartment on campus as well. Um, So the deposit is really important to make sure that the new school knows you've accepted their admission. If you're living on campus, you'll select housing. In my experience, housing for transfer students is limited compared to housing opportunities for freshmen. So Mm -hmm. the sooner you make that decision, the more options you're going to have. There may be some roommate selection process that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. um, And then you would schedule a move-in date. Um, Schools are very uh, in tune with September start dates and move in in September and they have all these fancy orientations and things (laughs) like that, that for January starts, they may have a smaller group. So some schools only have, you know, 20 students starting in January. So they don't go all out for those 20 students, but there may be some kind of an orientation that you can attend, give you an opportunity to meet the other students who are starting along with you. Um, And then you would select your classes as well. So really important to meet with your academic advisor or go through some kind of registration for classes uh, process to make sure that you're, you know, getting the classes you need and want. Definitely. And and very quickly, is there anybody else besides the two schools, any mm-hmm. other parties involved that you need to notify 
other than hopefully your parents. I'll put them <laughs> first on the list. They I've seen to that too. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, I would say if you're getting a scholarship from an outside resource, so whether from a national or a local source, you've been offered a scholarship, mm-hmm. they need to know that you're changing schools so that if they have any scholarship money for you going forward, that they're applying that money to the new school and not the old school. So I would notify anyone that's helping you fund your education like an outside scholarship. That makes perfect sense. And just super quickly, Laurie, because we only have one minute left for folks who maybe aren't, I'm definitely transferring for January, who are thinking about this a little bit earlier in the process, anything in general that students should know about financial aid for transfer students? Well, I think the important thing is student loans are available, but there are maximums of how much you can borrow. So the longer you're enrolled in school, you know, if it's taking you six years to get a bachelor's degree instead of four, you may max out your student loan eligibility. Uh, So it's important to watch that and make sure that you're still going to have access to the loans when you need it for your final year of school. That, that makes perfect sense. And we are totally out of time. Thank you so much, Laurie, for joining me today. Thank you, listeners, for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It, it does help um, other listeners find us, more families find us, and we absolutely appreciate your feedback. So thanks in advance for that. Please join us next week. We're going to be discussing what you should be doing once you receive your early action and early decision decisions from colleges. Um, So that's going to be an important one for you seniors out there who might have applied early. We're also going to be answering your listener questions, including, Laurie, you'll get excited about this, a lightning round on the brand new FAFSA that is being released in December. So Get those questions in through our website, getintocollege.com or through our social media channels. There's lots of ways to send us questions. So tune in next week. And remember, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.